Welcome to The Event Brew, where event professionals from different backgrounds talk about the latest, most controversial, and interesting topics dominating the minds of the industry right now. This is a candid conversation, the likes of which can only otherwise be found late at night in host hotel lobby bars during industry conferences. So relax and drop in on what event pros really say when no one else is around. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event management company that tells you how it really is. Now, let's brew something up. Welcome back again to another episode of Event Brew. So excited to be here today. I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Nick Borelli, all seated. How's it going, Nick? Oh, well. I like <laughs> Dustin that. Westling of One West Events up in Canada. Fine. How are you doing, Dustin? Fine. <laughs> Good. Sorry. Good. <laughs> and, of course, this is Will Kern from Endless Events. Tui is out on assignment. I think she's having laptop troubles today. So we, we she'll well, get to miss out on this. Awesome our listeners want to know, how are you? I'm I'm really good. Jesus yeah, Christ. Really one good. one word answer. Get with the program. Swell. Swell. Oh, swell. All right. Let's get well, through. Swell and fine. Well, well, swell and fine. Let's get through. Ooh, that's a new podcast get, title. Well, swell and fine. That is a band. It's about three I guys already with beards that are white and they have a podcast and it's called Well, Swell and Fine. <laughs> and it's about what they think is well, swell and fine. That's the world needs. Oh, they can never say anything negative on that. Yep. So. Just, just positive oh. things. From, <laughs> Only positive. Positive from a position of privilege. That, that's the <laughs> subtitle. Okay. Well, I got, I got half of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dustin, the, what, what, what do you got in your uh, your cup or your can or your, your uh, bottle? What do you got? Well, I'm drinking a really wonderful New England IPA, Skyrocket, from the Establishment Brewing Company. And it is brewed right here in the beautiful Calgary, Alberta, at the base of the Rocky Mountains in Canada. Wait, it's but it's New England. It's New England IPA. And it's brewed in Canada. Is that weird to me? Like, is it? I'm just. <laughs> it's like being like it'd be like as if yeah. Samuel Adams was brewed in Canada. Yeah, I, I'm gonna let the listeners write in and explain to you <laughs> how commerce works. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. It's oh, not, well, I guess we'll, we'll keep making an, Arizona tea in L.A. then. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't even know that it gets made in L.A. anymore. Doesn't it get I made in, anymore. I think it gets made in Mexico. Probably. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, by the way, what uh, is it got an aroma of a certain taste, nutty? Yeah, it's really creamy. It's, it is a very traditional tasting IPA, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah, no, it's good. I don't, I don't generally drink the IPAs, and I... I have a strange feeling somebody left this here during Stampede Week because my apartment is downtown <laughs> and lots of people end up here during Stampede. So I'm drinking the leftovers of Stampede. Excellent. S- Sandy and I last yesterday actually uh, from uh, that I work with, uh, we were talking about that's both on our bucket list uh, is to go to the Stampede. Uh, we like we like pancake. It stubbed in a conversation about eating pancakes and that's what I was eating yesterday and then it got into that. And I was like, I've been watching it for a while and watching live streams and seeing like how to, you know, how to best do it. And I'm like, meanwhile, I know people that like are really, in, you know, intimately knowledgeable. Uh, but <laughs> I would say, you know, a guy that, that does, you do a podcast with that's just got, is like a pro at Stampede. Yeah. His reference. I've, I've, I've said this a bunch of times, but 
Uh, now that I'm with LCD, I think I have a better chance for it that I need to like start going to with team members, uh, attending like marquee events as opposed mm-hmm. to going to the same conferences. Yes. Uh, and like just each year so we're, we're doing c2 so we're getting there yeah um, are you going yeah. 10 are team you, members are you going in I, person I, I don't know most of us are not uh, i'm like are you gonna go it. yeah you I should may. Go. you should go nick are you gonna go yeah yeah it's all about the you're gonna go for sure yeah. uh, maybe i will I, yeah. I had two different opportunities to uh moderate panels with the producers this year which is pretty sweet and uh i'm just i think their events really really cool it is and uh i think that they're they're pretty smart Dustin, you've been before. I have, been? yeah, yeah. I've yeah. talked, okay, I've, so I've talked about it a few times on so here. So good, I love it. Go. I, yeah, you have to go. It's a, go. it's a must, a must. You have go. to go, go with like go they're, zero. They're on. They did. A, they did an amazing job pivoting to online. They did an incredible job. But it's like I have a lot of team members that yeah. will view it from that perspective. So like, I wonder if there's something to be said about me going to it face to face. I don't know. Uh, email email Sandy and tell her it's a good idea. Uh, Sandy, <laughs> I know you're listening. Sandy, you're listening right now. Nick must go. Yeah. We Nick had a call with him go. today about sponsorship, by the way. <laughs> Their sponsorship, I was like, I bet it's not ex- not cheap. And then uh, that was true. Uh, that, yeah. Then you look at the stage and you're like, oh, wow, the production oh, company gave them they get all value. this for free. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, I think they get value yeah. for money, but like they, they know what they're worth uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, after Because yeah. I ask everybody, I'm like, how much? Show me it. It is a part of the lessons of C2, though, right? Like, there's so many lessons for event professionals to get out of it. And one of them is they know what they're worth. It's not cheap yeah. to go. They yeah, know. Yeah. They know what it's worth. And they don't, like, they don't pepper you with, like, with I deals and coupons. And it's, like, yeah. they, they charge because they know that it's worth it and good for them. Yep, more, more, more of that in 2022 or whenever the fuck... <laughs> Life goes back to normal. <laughs> Whatever the things go back to normal. Nick, what do you what do you got? What do you got just, in your uh, your just can? Just more spindrift uh, water. It's like all I've been drinking lately. It's uh, I got the lemonade this time. I've got uh, four or five flavors in the house. It's uh, wow. I just I didn't realize that like all the other stuff that I've been drinking that's been the the fake version of water. I mean, it's not like it's soda where it's like you go all in on the sugary whatever because that's what your expectations are. <laughs> This flavored water, when you have it like with with real stuff in it, it's actually a big difference. So, I uh, expect my check in the mail by the mm-hmm. end of the month. Yeah, <laughs> keep the sponsorships coming. Don't, um, back don't to send my it to the Masters podcast. Mountain Dew. Yeah, don't yeah, send, yeah. don't send it to the podcast. Send it to Nick directly. Yeah, Nick directly. Yeah, the guy, <laughs> the, Cleveland, Ohio, Nick the guy at the top of this podcast keeps siphoning our sponsorship <laughs> dollars. Yeah. I'm still I need it if I'm going to pay for sponsorship in these big events. Yeah, yeah. this is true. This is I true. need my I need my check from Endless. I still haven't seen it. I swear, I swear yeah, you asked for my banking. Somewhere in the mail, you know. Here's the wire transfer confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> make some make some modem screech sounds at them real quick, and then mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> um, I'm drinking uh, honest tea, some peach oolong tea still mm. right now. I already had my chai for the day, and just need something quick. I skipped lunch, so. Snacking on some chickpeas before I, we, uh, I watched you take down an entire bag of chickpeas. It's only and I had to, and I had oh, to listen wow. to it's it. Just kidding. It's a I had to away. listen to it on a podcast mic with earphones in. It was <laughs> it was quite the experience. ASMR, ASMR you know, yeah. chickpea eating. Yeah, no, I'm, I found these. Uh, you missed it, Nick. You really missed snacks. out. So that's what happens did, when did you're I late. Miss it, though. I get to hear Will oh, have sex. his snack. In high, in high def from his yeah. studio in Phoenix, Arizona. 
Well, that's what 3D audio is for. Hopefully, someday <laughs> exactly, that we can uh, immersive that. audio, yeah. I'm gonna yeah, go spatial be, audio. I'm going to burn my ears after this. Thank you. Will. You can actually f- taste the chickpeas with spatial oh. audio. All right, guys. So today so we're through the intro. Let's dive right into the topic. So um, six minutes. We did it. Yeah, we did. It's not bad. Not bad. Um, so this article, uh, this this tight this topic for today actually it comes from an article. Uh, can't take credit for this one, uh, Rachel. Wimberly from Trade Show News Network uh, actually wrote a recent article, and um, I I really liked it because it very much was written in the tone of uh, like the title of it's written the tone of, of an event brew episode. We read something controversial I, and like, hey, we need to fix this. Rachel doesn't <laughs> steer clear of passionate responses to things. No. By the way, during COVID, I, I find that she, I found that she was one of the like the the best positive cheerleaders that had actual grit to the things that she posted mm-hmm. over the last like year it, it was i really enjoy i mean and anytime there was a safe win in an event she would celebrate it too like globally like i remember when there were some uh some of the first bigger shows in china that were taking place and they were happening successfully you know she was there like she was paying attention to that and posting and saying like, it can happen and i'm just a, a big fan of people who are out there in the mix doing things and also uh you know being responsible at the same time and I, I, what makes I also me expect sad, the check at the end of the month. <laughs> what, ma- what makes me sad is that the, like I'm looking over on the right hand side of Trade Show News Network, and this is even in the number like they have the most read news, and this isn't even on it. <laughs> so like this this topic is so hot, and I think people really need to read this. Yet like it's you know staying I think a little bit below the radar because people are more excited about new properties opening and things like that. But the topic of the the article is please stop asking if attendance was down at shows running right now or at events running right now. Um, I'll just read like the first opening paragraph um, of it, which is since the beginning of July, I've been to several trade shows and events all over the U S and inevitably when I talk to people afterwards, one of the first questions they ask is how many attendees or exhibitors were at the show? So what Rachel basically argues is this is the dumb question and people need to stop asking this. I've asked it and we talked about it on our podcast after the special event. We talked in length about the lack of people and that attendance was down. So shame on us. Shame on us. Yeah. We live and we learn. I think a lot of it. The reason that that question is asked is that we're we're in kind of the dark and we're looking for canaries in mine shafts to tell us, you know, is it safe? Uh, can we come out again? And uh, that's probably, I mean, it's a bad take for sure. And I think it's a bad take because that's based on the premise that are, when you're asking that is, are things back to normal again? Which mm. or everyone should inherently know is a stupid or you're well, asking, you're asking it, that question to feel better about your own situation. Right? I mean, boom. I mean, like this is basically. I mean, not to like. Hey, if you want to stop listening to this episode, go listen to a what? It, stop using the word busy episode. We don't probably are going to argue very, very similar things. Don't but stop sim- listening. Wait till the end. What this guy okay. is not in charge Who's of ever marketing. Stopped? Yeah, I'm not, you're right. Sorry. Total listening time matters. We need it. We need sponsors. Please keep listening. Uh, but in the the busy episode, we talked about how like. One of the reasons why people do it is because they use it for a way to check whether they think that are is it is it going good for you? Is it not? It's like a self validation yep. uh, metric that kind of ends up coming in as well. Yeah, or they're looking for someone else to like say um, to uh, maybe see if uh, they can project down the line, right? Because like there isn't really any mm-hmm. information. Everything changes like with the wind, and I guess that's part of the wind. You know what's happening yeah. right now. Uh, the problem is, is that it, it's still based on the premise that 
are things the way they were before? And like, that's the part that really we should really reevaluate and say, was there less people? Well, for starters, in the climate we're in, take that as a given. Whatever, you're, whatever you were at before, your likely uh, design of your show was to maximize attendance. Now, there's, obviously, there's different types of events, but most events maximize attendance. So in a world where there was less friction for attending. So now mm-hmm. there's more options, different ways to attend. Uh, there's obviously still, uh, you know, a pandemic in lots in of different barriers. Stages. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the expectation of business in an environment that doesn't exist anymore, um, it would be, you know, it's kind of, it's probably a dumb question. Uh, but I think that the real question should be, um, how did your event change this year? Um, in spite mm-hmm. of everything that's going on, like, how are you, how are you making adjustments to your original way that you did your show? That's a sh- that puts that person in a in a position where they're um, in the driver's seat. They're not mm-hmm. just you know reacting to facts that happened at them, uh, but they're they're actually you know can explain to you and give you information that is valuable more so than were their numbers down. Let me just cut to the chase. They were down, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and were they down by design? Were they desi- d- down? Uh, you know, against you know what they wished because you know it's it's a bad time. Uh, good question, but you don't get to that unless you're actually curious about mm-hmm. their event. So get, get go a little deeper and ask better questions. Mm-hmm. And I think too, it's like <clears throat> I think let's let's ask what's something positive that came out of the experience this year. What's something positive that came out of your changes? And and I do bet that you know, especially when we're talking about trade shows, like are your exhibitors being able? Are they able to connect better? with attendees because the mm-hmm. volume is down or the attendees mm. that are there are very obviously they're there because they're very committed to whatever it is that's being that's being offered or being promoted and I think that there's there's lots of silver linings in there and if we are just judging I think if we're just judging recovery based on numbers we might be in trouble we might be in this a lot longer than the pandemic mm-hmm. will last and um, I think there's other ways to 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 learn something new and I think kind of to Nick's point it's like yeah no shit the numbers are down the numbers are down in theaters the numbers are down in malls the numbers are down mm-hmm. in traffic the numbers are down in restaurants like, like it's like, it's yeah. down it's down everywhere so that is kind of a silly a silly question to ask and don't ask it I wouldn't yeah, I mean, ask like, a restaurant that right would you ask your restaurant hey is this the best month you ever had <laughs> <laughs> oh like how's the, how's the clam it? chowder like, special doing is this yeah. the best month you've like, ever had you, you walk you walk into a restaurant you know and I, I actually thought this through actually this last weekend I went to like this um, brunch place they opened a second location one of my like really good food in Phoenix and they had a smaller location they opened up a new bigger location on top of where they've been before and I walked in and I literally had no wait I walked in ordered my food it came out immediately and I was like Oh my gosh! I think these guys are doing bad. Like things that they're struggling because they. It was like, but then you look over at like you know X Y Z other brunch place. They have a line out the door, and you start uh-huh. to think like, well, are, yeah, are they are they doing that bad? But one of the things I think I think about like is you know to to kind of move away from us just like also condemning people for not ha- you know focusing on. I think that's kind of the obvious conversation, but more so like I for I think about like longer term future events. Is that like you know we we talked about C two right. C2 definitely doesn't have as many people as IMAX, but I would say C2 has just as big of an impact on me and enjoyable experience, and it's not about the number of people that are there. It's about the quality of people, the experience they design, but like I am a fan of right now, like let's design our events to focus on having less people. Let's actually make them maybe more exclusionary, not in a, like a diversity inclusion opposite way but like more so like let's make this a a really great experience that's just super high end and i think people want that 
I don't think people want dime a dozen cookie cutter crap anymore. Mm-hmm. People don't want a shotgun approach because there's too yeah. much. Because uh, everybody's disappointed in a shotgun approach. When you build yeah. a program, when you build yeah. when you build a program, you build an event that's for everyone. Most people will be disappointed instead of taking a look at who can you service the best, who can you put on the best show for, marketing to them and being really clear about what it is you're going to offer. And if those that it's not necessarily built for understand all of that and still choose to go, then you're you're then that's okay, that's great. But I think mm-hmm. that I think that I think that. A lot of events have tried to be too broad and tried to be open to everybody to build up the numbers that we're talking about as opposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, deciding who's your audience and really drilling down into them. And and we see that. We see that in this industry with basically every event conference that happens is that they try and cast this really wide net and they service nobody instead of saying, you know, hey, maybe this conference isn't for social and wedding planners. We're not going to program for them because it doesn't make sense. I see those shows where you're like, it's for social planners and wedding planners and corporate planners and, you know, trade shows. And I'm like, well, then, huh? Like, yeah. It's like trying to be like the food, the food festival that caters to the vegan, the meat lover, and also like the person who loves mac and cheese. Yeah, there's literally things that are at this that are features of this event that are offensive to other people there. And, <laughs> and, and like the thing, like in those types of food shows, as you, as you just described, uh, and I think the reason is – well, there's a lot of reasons. I think it's like sort of – I'm going to say laziness, but like I, I, I wish it wasn't – I wish it was a better word uh, of whatever it means when you just do the same thing that you've always done and you don't really know any way around it. I think it's laziness. I think that's fair. I think that I, it's – I think that, that there, there be, it becomes, I think, more risky, it's to, risky. to declare – that yeah. this is the audience that you want to serve and trust that they're going to follow you. And I mm. think that it's like you have better luck by bringing in 2,000 people and hoping to God that they come back than you do bringing in 500 people and really honing in on them. So mm-hmm. I just think that like the difference between like and I do this all the time because like I sit in both worlds. The difference between marketer and an event planner is event planner puts all of their chips on, you know, black 18 and, and for the whole year. And spins the dice, or geez, I know nothing about gambling. Spins the <laughs> dice, shoots the hoop, and gets a touchdown. Right? Um, I'm trying to make a metaphor, and I'm like, I don't know anything about gambling. Yeah. Um, so puts it down, uh, spins the the thing with the, the wheel. ball, yeah, yeah the wheel. There you go. Yeah. Someone help me out. That's okay. an adult. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> if it was Pokemon, I could like crush this this for sure. So okay, uh, okay, Nikki. It's yeah. So, two words. Sounds yeah. like first Sounds word. Like, yeah. Eel. Eel. Uh, so uh, you spin the wheel and you put it all down. And so your your whole year is basically betting on that. So the yeah. stress that you have as an event planner, I think, is very much like I understand that, like, yes, the, the bad news is, is that you have to plan. You should you should be planning more than one event per year or whatever the amount of events that you plan. You should event. You should plan more of them. And by more of them, maybe even co-located, you know, different experiences. Or do like an east-west thing. Like, yeah, know. fine. You know, whatever. West but there Coast. is more moving parts. With more moving parts spread out, you're not putting everything that you do on this one day, three days, whatever. Mm-hmm. You would spread it out and you would, you would feel less stressful. And I think you'd be more like what marketers feel like because I make mistakes constantly. I learn from them and I apply the learning to the next thing because I, I don't put all my marketing money into like one thing, right? Like I spread it out and I try a bunch of different things. If you look at my like keywords, I try a bunch of stuff and I, I go into numbers meetings every week where I'm like, hey, we tried this out and it turns out, nope, that doesn't work. 
So I'm pulling that money out and I'm putting it over here. I'm going to let it run on this for like, you know, a couple of weeks to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Event people don't think like that. Like they think like I have to put all of my effort and all of my energy into this one small target. And then because of that, because it's so much work to do all the moving parts, I have to put as much into that so I don't fail, which means I have to have the biggest this and the, and the, and the uh, biggest keynote speaker and the biggest this. And, the, you know, if you just like made it so you uh, – like when people think about the idea of like failure in the events industry, like they're, they're, they're stricken with absolute, you know, uh, fear at, at the highest level. The reason is, is because I think that if they were to make the failure not so far of a drop, if you were shooting for not, if you had a thousand person event normally and you were shooting for, you know, five events with 200 people, you, you, not, no matter what happened to that 200, you could make it up on the mm-hmm. other ones and you could and you could have enough time to bounce back. Well, Nick, I, I, on the roulette oh. table, Nick. Yeah. On the roulette table, you can put your chips down on multiple numbers. Ah, this is, ah. Bad, this is a bad analogy. Well, okay, so you can do it, but I'm you saying in my analogy, yes. the the event planner does not. They choose. Yes. Yeah, that they is choose too, black. They black or red. That is Let the it lesson. Ride. That's yeah, the yeah, lesson. Yeah, Don't put all your chips on one number. You can spread them out a little. Hedge your bets. And then yeah. you'll get a full house. And with that, <laughs> go no, fish. Just stop. Well, no, I, no, no, no. And, and <laughs> I have like. And I have kind of a, a thought process around this, Go and it's fish. actually a little contradictory to what you necessarily say about like diversification of revenue because I think this is what this is what I think the evolution life cycle of a business looks like in a lot of ways. You first start off when your business, and anyone out there who owns one knows how hard this is. You start off at being like, I'm going to do this cheap. I'm going to try to get as many gigs as I can. i got to make this work. And then like you slowly start to move up in terms of your cost and charging more and more and more and moving up market. Well, eventually you get to this point where you're like at a chasm. You have to decide, you have to say no to these jobs that you've been doing for so long that are guaranteed revenue, that are easy, and that you know you can crush because you need to now look up market to these like high-end enterprise clients or whatever it is, right? And I, and I think that that jump is extremely hard for a lot of people to be able to do. But then the next step is once you've kind of moved up market is then the diversification. And you kind of see this a little bit uh, – I always like HubSpot as a, as a metaphor. They, they were first like very, very cheap very, very, and then they went way up market to enterprise. And then now they're like, well, how do we now capture the $20 a month client that then leads into the $1,000 a month client? And I think that you have to kind of figure this out as you're – as you're going along is that you might have been charging, let's say it was a thousand dollars to attend your conference and you want to be like a C2 where you, I, I actually don't know how much it costs to go to C2 because I've only been invited to it, but like I, what? 5,000, four, four or $5,000, I think, or something like yeah, that. That was, attend. that was Will's flex for the episode. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Cause there always has they, to be one. Oh, Damn, how much do you think milk costs? It's like, milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, bucks? And we'll, I do remember what Mel caused, guys, if you remember like a year ago. Okay, so anyways. And well, can you please stop recording in the back of your Tesla? It sounds great and all. <laughs> the acoustics are great, yeah. I have to admit. The white, so the white good, leather so just clashes The car's actually driving itself right now while we yeah. do this conversation, if you guys sure. didn't notice. No. Um, I'm not recording this in my self-driving Tesla. Um, so... You're, you're so relatable. Starting, so back well. to the point, like, back to the point though, to like of that like this idea that though like I think that planners also need to figure out too, not in addition to how you diversify a number of events, but also too that maybe you need to like raise the quality of your experience and charge more. Um, yeah. I worry that this last year though that shot that. Like mm-hmm. I think you saw clients that were charging a thousand dollars to now drop down to a hundred dollars, and now they have to get back to a thousand. Well, now they have to compete oh. with the virtual price, which is going to be a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Is now we have to say that you're. I think that 
your three th- yeah. your three thousand dollar in person got dropped down to two ninety nine because you viewed it online. Now we have to figure out how to how to bridge that, and I think that that is a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm saying that is why we're going to see smaller events. That's why the question at the beginning doesn't matter anymore because it's not going to be the same thing. We're not comparing. We're not comparing the same thing. I think that the the virtual component is here to stay, and that that difference between the in person and the virtual price is here to stay. And it's going to be about what the attendee values most, and it's going to be about providing the best mm. value for each one of those segments. I think there's competition now with virtual, and therefore you have to put up or shut up. So, unfortunately, I do believe that some shows won't survive full stop because they don't have you know it's more competitive field right with with virtual there's opportunities for that same dollars to be spent on something that has less friction uh and if the other one wasn't about results it was just about we we have you know we're uh own this piece of the pie we've been here the longest just by default uh then you know you've been coasting longer than you probably should have been and now here comes competition so that's fair i think but i think that what you could do potentially as opposed to seeing that necessarily as an adversarial uh you know uh positioning would be to say where does virtual fit into the value that you would give the face-to-face person like could they could you give them a virtual extension of their experience uh, and figure out where uh the virtual could be part of the the value add because if there's a lower cost associated with uh the virtual and the face-to-face is something that is still valuable. How do you, you know, combine those two tools to get to get you there? But for me, I always start hmm. first with how do I make people money? You know, like that. Before I think about how to give value to others, I think about how do I make people money? Because if I can do that, I have more tools to use, and with more tools to use, I generally can solve problems. So I look at virtual and smaller events as opportunities to make more money. Now, a lot of people think, how does smaller events make you more money? And the answer is uh, exclusivity and more uh, sponsors who have the, own the show, you know, that are co-sponsored, that are premier sponsorships. If you have one show a year, you only have one title sponsor. If you have five shows a year, you have five title sponsors. And oftentimes what they want in a win with that is that exclusivity, that premiereness. And if you can deliver them a very specific audience that is vetted and is pure and is their audience, like ultimately your your, uh, sponsors don't want everyone. They want the people that matter to them the most. So figure out how you would carve up your show into uh, segments that, that five different organizations want the most and have them involved in the process. And what you have is likely uh, more revenue. And with that, you have less fear of pr- having to produce the biggest show to be able to you know, say that we had a good show because it was bigger than last year. Because the but numbers. Five pure shows. Yeah. yeah. We had 10,000 people show up. That's how television does it, well, by the way. Like Conan O'Brien was on the air for 30 straight years, not because he had a better, a bigger audience than his competitors, but he had a purer audience. He had a very specific slice of the demographic and he could own that so the networks that employed him like they sold advertising because the advertiser said we only sell to this demo and it doesn't matter if you have all the other people because we can't sell to them i'm like there's lots of instances where in television that's been the case where you're like how do these two shows on this show with a mega audience and this show with a small audience is because if you look if you carve up the demographics you're like oh this delivers a consistent deliverable to this audience and has like high 
um, you know, cachet uh, in a very narrow bandwidth. And it, there's an idea around called it thousand true fans theory, uh, which is this idea that you only need in, in like a an internet age or in a digital age, you don't have to uh, like it is aimed at musicians primarily. You don't have to be Bon Jovi where you had to have like a whole stadium worth of people to support, you know, your whole livelihood. What you needed was a thousand people who really believed in you and, and would spend a hundred dollars with you uh, a year to be able to, you know, forecast that much money or whatever the math is. It's just a, a blanket number. But like it's it's more about like these people are all in with me mm-hmm. and they're and they'll buy anything I tell them because I get them because I use personalization because I know them intimately. Uh, that's the style that like would askew completely how many people came to your show. It's like, well, 100 percent of the people that should have. So I got another interesting idea too. why we should not ask if attendance is down. And this is like what I've, I've been talking about a little bit in some of the keynotes and stuff is keeping in mind, too, that your audience has changed. In the last year. And so everyone's like, oh, is it tens down? I don't think you can expect the same people to be coming back exactly. Even if they have the money, even if they have the, the desire because, you know, whatever reason that – what I think there's legitimately – I bet you everybody's audience has shifted so much that, like, if you were to look at your contact list of your audience in 2019, then look at that same contact list in 2021, it, even if it was free – even if it was the safest, even if you had the best freaking event in the whole world, I bet you it's totally changed. And I think that, you know, for us to sit here and assume that too, that like in this short period of time right now too, some people might be just deciding where they want to go back to conferences. Like, you know, for example, I was like a diehard, you know, traveler. And I think that I might not be the biggest of travelers anymore. I used to go from like traveling 75% of the time. And now I'm like, I'm going on my first flight, by the way, guys, this weekend. And I'll terrified not terrified in a bad way of being like sick or something i'm just like i'm so out of practice so i think that's something we have to think about too is that our audiences have totally shifted that like you know if american airlines was marketing me so hard go on more flights go on more flights go on more flights come to come fly here come fly here i might not be the best person to market to anymore because i might be the person who's like you know i'm gonna stay here and focus on the business and you know spend time with my friends or play board games and things like that two other Um, people i know that we all know too uh who were big into travel have told me the same thing over the last like uh, two months and that's uh, David Adler and Dahlia they're both firmly in the camp of you know if I don't have to go I'm not gonna go like Mm -hmm. they're like very much travelers who go everywhere to go every show and they've they've completely changed their habits Uh, and and that's decades of habits of doing that and they're both like yeah independently they've told me they're very interested in uh, looking around for other opportunities to impact a community uh, versus having to get into a plane unless it absolutely makes sense. And we just did it because there was no alternative. I think a lot of the times, I'm mm-hmm. not saying all the time, but I'm saying enough times we were like, well, if I want to make an impact in this community, I have to get in a plane, I have to show up, and I have to do the thing I have to do for three days for you know 12 hours a day and not get much sleep and you know party all night or not making that sound like it's a chore but after a couple decades it is after Uh, after a couple days it is (laughs) yeah for sure uh i I don't have that nearly what i used to and i think that you you, i can get a whole thing about what you should do when you start and then what you should eventually put the brakes on if you do it right uh but yeah I, i i do believe that habits have been changed uh, because it's been enough time to break habits. And like I forget how long that is, 90 days or different people say those things. It's been whatever that number is, it's been longer than that. <laughs> and uh, 
uh, the the curve is whatever happened to the curve, uh, whatever. But we're at this other side now where uh, everyone has reevaluated everything. And if you're the only person in this ecosystem who hasn't reevaluated what you're doing, if everyone else as a consumer has reevaluated what they're doing, then you're saying, I still want to plan the same event. Just like you're planning for an event for uh, uh, like an attendee that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your old information is just that. It's old information. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, we said we said last year in the summer we said if you if you bring your event back to life and it's the same event you had pre COVID, then like get get out get out of this as a career yeah. because that's like here in Lay is a huge opportunity for everybody and yeah and if you think that the consumer is looking for the same thing like I don't buy into this you know people are looking for familiarity and comfort no they're fucking not they're looking for value for money they're looking for a new exciting opportunity and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree, hundred um, percent. And I think to 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 level up what we're all talking about too is everything has changed Every because I think that this article thing. is you know is like from is from you know the perspective of trade shows primarily. So it's also talking about exhibitors and how many exhibitors are signed up. Your companies have changed. How they market to people has totally changed. How many employees they have, where their focuses are, like everything's changed over this last year. So, I do, I I do worry a little bit about trade shows. That's the one thing that, like, Mm -hmm. and exhibitors who I bet you a lot of companies have found their way into digital marketing that maybe weren't in that space before, weren't taking it seriously, and they were forced to get there. And I think they're going to find out that they don't need to lug around their their trade show booth and their pull up banners and. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I, true. I, I, you know, I've so I've d- literally had to fix our trade show banner that like the like stick part of it. I had to use a hammer oh. and plier it out. Oh man, oh, God. the worst! I had to do real work for like a second. Which oh. was the first time I've done that I'm in almost so a decade. I'm so sorry to hear that <laughs> with my hands, like like a, like a baby. I'm so uh, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I eventually found an adult who helped me, so it was okay. Oh, that's good. They yeah. taught you what roulette is too. Yeah, yeah, but I'll tell you that like it's uh, it it's especially now like it's it's not super easy to find uh, a team that wants to go out in the road and and exhibit and things like that. And I know it's valuable uh, for the company, but I'm also looking at it from the perspective of like uh, I can know what my digital ads can do too. You know, so like I have there's a lot of competitions for the exact same dollars, and it's not mm-hmm. the only show in town is not getting in a booth and talking to people yeah. uh yeah mm-hmm. that said i'll tell you how i score as an exhibitor and therefore as the the, the end client to a lot of trade shows i score it by closing percentage i don't score mm-hmm. it by impressions so if you can show yeah. me as a partner that you can work with me and you have all these digital solutions in the mix in addition to uh, you know, what you can provide me, you know, with a, with a really good group of people who they don't have to be a lot, but they have to close. Like I had a conversation today where we had a show, we were like, Oh, we got, we booked four clients out of it. So we were like, great, worthwhile. Totally. You know, we just checked it off as we're going next year. It was simple as that four, right? So it depends on your group and what you sell and all that fun stuff. But, um, it, it really, it doesn't have to be the masses. The fact that there was a, a thousand people at that didn't matter as much as the four. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they had twelve, uh, and you know, I, I probably would have had a good chance to meet those four people still, and they could have saved themselves a lot more headaches, uh, marketing, and spending a lot of money delivering us the right twelve people. So uh, I really think that it comes down to like reevaluating how you are like selecting who gets to be an attendee and who you're aiming at. Uh, and having real conversations with them. That's one. And then the other side is, if you were to tell me, hey, if you have a bad show, 
because we're, we're going to pare it down. We're not playing the shotgun game anymore. We're playing more of the laser game. There's going to be less people, less opportunities, but you should have a better chance to convert. That said, there's all these new digital opportunities for us to make it up for you. So let's have a conversation right after the event as an exhibitor. Um, tell me what you thought. Tell me what you felt like in this new approach. We're your partner. We want to be with you. And if at the end of it, you didn't feel like you were whole, let's talk about webinars, let's talk about co-creating content, let's talk about get-togethers, meetups, things like that that we can do in these digital platforms uh, so you can get more of the things that you need. Like I'm telling you, if a salesperson from a trade show had took that approach, it's basically risk-free for an exhibitor. And, and I'm in. Love it. But I think they put all their cards on one uh, goal and they, they don't score the touchdown. Am I doing it right yet? Ah. You're doing great. Mm, Perfect. Hanging in there. Hanging yeah. In there, a little sports metaphor. Yahtzee. Sorry. <laughs> There's a board game reference. I don't know that one. <laughs> yeah, you know that's That's your thing. Uh, yeah, it's going to be mobile games for me, uh, board games for you, and for Dustin, it's probably going to be something that has to do with ice. Drinking games. Oh, fucking drinking games. Oh, what do you think I am, a college it. kid? God damn you, Will. <laughs> I, I, uh, I went to your uh, Canadianism and assumed it was some sort of Ice related activity. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. There you go. Skiing. Yeah. Yak tipping. Snowboarding. Yeah. Throw the ice cubes ice at hockey. the mountain. <laughs> yeah. <ice. laughs> that game's great. Ooh. A lot of winners in that. So uh, right, well, here's how I wrap take, it up. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll take, I can take this one away. Oh, I got one too. Which one? You go first. You, go you sure? First. Yeah. I was going to ask everybody to give your one question that you would ask instead. Oh, yeah. I like that. So, yeah. Email us eventbrew at helloendless.com. What's the, if instead of asking was a tennis down, what's your better qualifying question that allows you to actually gain information from what you're trying to accomplish with that same question to, to your fellow event professionals? What can we do to ask a better question? Email us and let us know. Also, feel free to you know, continue the conversation on social. Post this episode. Grab the link right now. Post it on your LinkedIn and start a conversation. Put something controversial on there and tag us on it so we can get a part of the conversation too. We want to hear from you. Just use hashtag eventbrew or tag any one of us hosts as well. We're, we're, we'll be friendly, too. If you add us on LinkedIn, we'll add you back. Uh, uh, I will. I don't know what these guys. Nick uh, does. Yeah, Dustin's, of course I will. selective. Yeah. I, I did it for new team members today. I felt really good. I had a new team member I met today, and she was like, uh, can I add you on LinkedIn? And I was like, sure. That means I probably should go on LinkedIn, huh? Okay. <laughs> so proud. So proud. Um, and thank you uh, uh, for hanging out with me. Nick and Dustin, as we talk about this awesome article by Rachel, which, by the way, if you want to go check this article out, um, just go to the Trade Show News Network. We'll also have a link to it on our blog post as well, so you can go check it out. It's called Please Stop Asking If Attendance Was Down at Shows Running Right Now. But Dustin, Nick, thank you guys for joining for me for an awesome conversation. Yep. Couldn't imagine being anywhere else, gentlemen. Yeah. And thank you to all of our audience who are listening right now. You guys are what makes this show awesome. Feel free to email us. Tag us on social media. You know what to do. But in the meantime, we will see you next week on Event Brew. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Event Brew. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head over to eventbrew.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. Ask a follow-up question or tell us what topics you want to hear covered. See you next time on Event Brew.